by the Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that uh, hasn't written a witty intro this week. That's a good one. That's a bit yeah. of a cop out, isn't it? That works. Anyway, but I did write the rest of it. I just forgot to put that bit in. Um, my name is Sinanka, but I am your unflappable host this week, and I am joined by the man who puts the calamity into Blaze Blue Calamity Trigger. Ooh. He is, of course, Joseph Delia. Yes, indeed. How are you, sir? How are you sir? doing? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. The cat just jumped off my lap, though, which is which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, I've been doing very well. I've been uh, having me some good times. It's been uh, it's been a, a weird September, but all's all's well on my end. How's everything in jolly old England? Uh, it's getting cold here. Cold it's already? Getting, yeah. Well, not already. I think it's pretty much getting cold at the beginning of September. Oh um, really? But yeah, now now it's getting cold. Bit blustery, like would you say? I don't really care about the wind. Ah. I care about the cold. Ooh. It's like it's a deeper octave of cold. Mm. It's cold. Misery. Um, but you have had like an exciting sense because you've got two new acquisitions. You have a cat. I have a cat. Her name is Sinanarella, um, <laughs> as we discussed on, on, on AIM. and She's wonderful. She's a bit cranky, but, uh, you know, she's good. That sounds a little bit like someone I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also a, more, a slightly more relevant acquisition. You've got an iPod Touch. I finally, finally joined the iPod generation three years after everyone else did, so I, I feel proud to be a part of Good Company. So that means we might one day do something on iTouch games. Uh, Words with Friends will be the focus of the next five shows. Excellent. Right, we also joined by a regular guest of the show and friend of the show, Zantiriad. Hello. Hello, yes. Hello there. Cheering on that news, no doubt, of iTouch <laughs> coverage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's something like some ridiculous number of iTouch devices now, isn't there? Something like sixty mm. million or something crazy like that. It's uh, a bit more yeah. than the PSP, I suppose. Just I yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. It's it's gone from nowhere to being probably the most popular computing device out there now in in the space of two and a half years. It's amazing, really. And it, and and as a gaming device as well. I mean, it's. I've lost count how many games are allegedly on the App Store now. It's like 250,000 mm. or something stupid. I feel like it's a pretty strong push for <laughs> we should be covering iTouch games. I know that we, we don't, and we should. That'll be mm. something we'll rectify now with, with Joe and, and Zan. Um, right, we are also joined by someone else. He is one of the staff writers at MCV. He is an author of the Games Journalism or Bus Blog, and he is, of course, host of the uber-fantastic and ultra sexy game burst podcast he is of course james bachelor i completely forgot i have a blog <laughs> i haven't, I haven't updated that ages thank you very much for that um now hello thank you guys for having me on i love chatting to you guys so um it's really good to be here oh it's a pleasure to have you and uh, we actually for for listeners who've probably kind of known me and james have been podcasting for a while and we've been following each other for a while like we actually i think known about known each other about three years now roughly. yeah about that i think and so. we met each other for the first time last week we, we've <laughs> broken that curse we've broken that curse because it was getting to the stage of like one of those you know silent movie slapstick comedies where like every time one character walks out of the room the other one comes in and they're never in the room <laughs> at the same place it's like, ironic like was it like the day we finally met so we finally met at the um, the midnight launch of Halo Reach at Westfield Shopping Centre in London which it turns out is where you live like you live near there which is where my girlfriend of a year and a bit lives so I'm there pretty much every weekend <laughs> and then like 
earlier in that day you'd been at a James Bond event, the same James Bond event I was at just before I went to Halo Reach. It was getting ridiculous. <laughs> and that's like not like you're saying. It's like not the first time that's happened. Like no, I think I th- two or three events we've we've just missed each other. I think that prison break one. I must have brushed your shoulder as I walked out the door or something. I must. Have, I know I was in a hurry that day, but the timings were so close. We must like have just ghost, missed each other. Felt like this ghostly presence around you. Yeah. <laughs> Fate <laughs> finally brought you two together. It did. It was it was it was one of those amazing moments like yeah you know, like I could hear in my head love is a many slender thing. <laughs> I will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on a completely separate note, I think we should get into uh, this show's discussion, which uh, kind of is. I don't know how we got to the end of it. I think we, at first uh, we kind of wanted to talk about connect and move, and then. Uh, we realised that we've done a few shows on that and think, to be honest, that those two things have been discussed to death already and mm. probably right now the release of Move are going to get discussed to death even more mm. but it, it did kind of bring about an interesting idea of um, something I think we've kind of touched on in the show a few times, which is how co- this generation of consoles, the life cycle seems to be getting elongated more than the than the norm and I feel like it's kind of interesting to see how that how that's affected the industry, how how life cycles of consoles past have affected the industry, and you know what does it bode for the future? Because I think, um, especially looking at something like the Wii, which has been around a while, mm. like now, and it looks like it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like, what does that mean for games development and the quality of games that we are playing? Uh, and that is kind of where we're going to go. I guess the, I guess a good starting point, James, is as a Nintendo fanboy, <laughs> a self-confessed Nintendo fanboy, uh, is to look at guess the DS and the Wii. The DS has been around since 2004, and the Wii, I think, is it 2006 or seven? 2006. 2006. Yeah. 2006. Um, that is four years. It, like, it's, it's strange. I, 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 you know, I am a Nintendo fanboy, self self-confessed Nintendo fanboy, but I've always positioned myself as a Nintendo fanboy with his feet firmly on the ground. I'm not up on cloud nine of Mario games, etc. And I I think the Wii of all of them, the the Wii does need to be updated because it is, it was the oldest, it was, it was already shown its age when it arrived in terms of hardware. Okay. So the actual concept, you know, the motion control, etc., was amazing when it first came out. It was utterly phenomenal. It was completely new everyone took to it everyone loved it I loved it I still love it there are still you know I still smile when I'm playing like Wii Sports Resort or something but the graphically um, you know as is the the age old criticism against the Wii graphically it just wasn't up to par even with like the last generation and certainly like in the hands of certain developers it's just not up to par and that needs updating because, as you know, as much as they go on about gameplay is king, etc., and even if they can come up with new ways, and you know, even if they actually get behind Motion Plus, which is something that Nintendo conveniently seem to have forgotten about, you you need that kind of that visual hook to draw in and keep people engaged, because even even non-gamers will look at it and think, you know what, this doesn't look too good. It's interesting you talk about that now because uh, I think I may have read in. In your in your publication, I can't remember now. It's the last day or two that the um, the Wii starting to lose traction in both Japan and the US, and I think it's really the only the UK now that's well uh, and Europe where it's where it's still still king. Um, I believe it P 
PS3 overtook Wii sales last week in Japan? I believe so. I, th- I think in all the territories, it's suffering a kind of double whammy because its own sales are declining, partly because every bastard's got one, and partly because you know there's just the interest is dwindling and it's showing its age compared to the others. And then the other two consoles, you know, the PS3, the 360, have gained so much momentum in the last three years that you know the Wii is on its way down. And unlike Microsoft and Sony, where they've released new controllers that have completely revamped what their console does and how their console is positioned, the Wii is what it is. There's very little they can do to change that. It's it's not like Nintendo can suddenly write, we're going to go for the hardcore. I know that's almost what they were trying to do with this E3, but there's no dramatic shift that can be taken with that hardware, short of a complete redesign and a complete, you know, a revamp of the innards and yeah so it is, it is it's on a downward spiral and i think that's just inevitable because i think nintendo built it whereas the other two you know insist they built it with your know, 10 years life cycle in mind i think nintendo built we with the traditional five-year life cycle planned and lo and behold we're on track this is around about the time that gamecube and n64 their sales started to dwindle and we were waiting for the next nintendo console I think it's real weird that Nintendo hasn't done something about it because there is demand for a, like a Wii HD or an update to the Wii of some kind and Nintendo has never been shy about releasing peripherals and updates to their consoles. I mean, how many DSs have we had at this point? How many Game Boys were there? Um, hmm. And yet with the Wii, they've been kind of stubborn about saying, well, you know, our we know our system's kind of uh, not as high tech as some of the others. We know, I mean, hell, the system doesn't even have a component port in the back. You have to, you know, buy a special cable to get it, and then even then, you can't get surround sound with the damn system. The Xbox One had surround sound. There's a lot of deficiencies that the current Wii has that Nintendo could easily, easily take advantage of in an update to the system and sell a billion copies of. But for some reason, they've been super stubborn about doing that. Um, you know, I just don't really understand the move. I, I mean, I know they want to kind of build momentum towards what's next, what the next Wii is or the next Nintendo home console, but I think at this point it's kind of ridiculous because most or many hardcore gamers like won't even look at the Wii just simply because of the visuals, and I know that's a problem with them and not really the system, but you know, to get those people back, all they would have to do is release a Wii that did like high-def graphics, and they would be they would be raking in the money. I think they're a little set in their ways because like, I mean, like, if you look at like, so Microsoft for example completely kind of kind of gave the Xbox a shot in the arm with the new Xbox experience complete redesign of the the um, the interface and how you access your content and how that content is presented and Nintendo hasn't done that it could do that with the Wii menu I mean like, I still like the Wii menu's design but it's old it, you know it needs kind of update I think you know even sure. Sony has tweaked the. Um, the cross-media bar as they've gone along, but Nintendo doesn't. Nintendo rolls out a product, that product is finished, and they won't tweak it until the uh, the next one. You say, you know, like you say, they've released loads of you know Game Boys and Game Boy Advances and DSs. Those have always been, um, well, certainly you know, in past generations, those have always been aesthetic tweets. If you uh, tweaks, tweaks, sorry, <laughs> too much time on Twitter. Um, <laughs> aesthetic tweaks in the yeah, like, so the Game Boy Advance became the Game Boy SP. <laughs> All it was was a folding screen and a backlight. The actual way the machine worked was the same. Likewise, when we went to the Game Boy Micro, the DS, admittedly, they've changed a lot more. They added a camera. They added onboard storage. They added an SD drive. That is something that Nintendo hasn't done in the past. They've never really added functionality to a console with a redesign, with an update, 
and they've started doing that with the DS. But you're right, I, it's surprising why they that they haven't done that. Given that the I mean the DSI sold reasonably well. I mean RA didn't set the world on fire like they expected. Likewise, the XL didn't. But it doesn't help that the XL came out what a couple of weeks after they announced the 3DS was going to be. Yeah. A, you know, you know, so but even then they sold relatively well, and they, you know they they at least impressed. I mean, you know the critical acclaim for those those updates were, was quite good, and yet they've not thought to do so with the Wii. I maybe it's for fear of segregating that market. I mean, the 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 home console market really doesn't understand the difference between a Wii and a Wii Plus or a Wii and a Wii HD. They just want the Nintendo Wii, that Nintendo thing, as they say. <laughs> I'm going to slightly disagree in that. I think um, you could argue Motion Plus is quite a big functionality update for the Wii. Um, but at the same time, how little Nintendo has supported it in terms of games that use it, uh, in terms of marketing, does seem to suggest that they've almost lost faith in, in the ability to go forward with that technology and to really employ it successfully, especially looking now at, at how you've got PlayStation Move and Connect. It almost seems like they've given the ground to, to Microsoft and Sony and say, hey, you'll be the guys mm. who can take this up. We, we've done it. We've made our money. Um, and that, that for me, just makes me wonder whether they've missed a boat with the Wii 2 now. Like, where does mm. the Wii 2 fit in as a console in, in the current market? Because at the moment, like, really, you, you, it, it doesn't... I don't know what it can do to distinguish itself, especially from the PlayStation 3. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think the next step for the Wii kind of has to be what the Wii was to the to the GameCube. It has to be something completely different. It can't just be, oh, well, the graphics look a lot better now. You know, and I mean, even though, as I said, they, they would rake in tons of money if they released the Wii HD, I, you know, Nintendo on the home console front hasn't traditionally worked that way. I mean, they, they, they're still making the same mistakes this generation as they made last generation. They're still releasing a ton of peripherals and not supporting them, just like they did with the, the, uh, the, N64 transfer pack and the N64 RAM pack and that uh, that thing that you could slide cards in on the GameCube to make new levels appear in your Animal Crossing, um, like I can't even think of the name, but but that e kind of stuff. Is always, yeah, that thing, yeah, which I also bought. That kind of stuff, you know, has always been around, and the Nintendo's doing it now too with the Motion Plus, which gets no support whatsoever. And unfortunately, um, I don't really see them changing their ways because they seem to be dead set on making their money the way they can. Um, for the Wii 2 or for the next Nintendo console, they're probably going to try something crazy different, just like they did with the 3DS. The concept of glasses-free 3D on a portable system is pretty mind-blowing. But, I mean, since the 3DS is coming out in the next year or so, when would the Wii, the next Wii even come out? And would people even care about what the Wii is doing by that time? Because, I mean, by, right now, Wii is in decline. A year from now, the Wii is not even going to be a, a spec to a lot of people because they're so tired of what it can do. But you could argue that that's just because at some point everybody has got a Wii, sure. rather than the Wii has lost its power as a brand, and that the Wii 2 can't regain that power. I mean, it, it's, it is important to distinguish the difference between something just kind of running out of market to, to take and becoming less popular. But if people aren't using them, will they really want the next one to come but out? They don't, they don't need to, do they? Because, I mean, um, certainly some of the people I know who went out and bought a Wii um, a couple of years ago are now looking to buy a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360 to replace it. So they see the replacement for the Wii as being one of the other two devices that were already out there. Um, just briefly, but go back to Nintendo. That Nintendo, I mean, I've I've been a, 
a bit of a Nintendo fanboy for a long time. I mean, I love my N64 bits. I've, I've got loads of them. In fact, I've got about five of them. <laughs> but um, they've always struck me as a company that's very, um, I wouldn't say risk-averse, but they're, they're very cautious in making an investment. Um, when Microsoft launched the Xbox, they run up huge debts and losses in the development of that thing, and then they were selling it at a loss, and all of it really is build market share, which has taken them almost 10 years to to actually start to, to achieve a revenue from, you know, through subscriptions, basically. Um, whereas, I always feel with Nintendo that when they release something, they know it's going to make money day one. They never release something where they're going to make money in four or five years' time. You know, so their their business plan is always, okay, well, we'll sell this, we'll make a bit of money on everything we sell, and it will cover our manufacturing costs and we'll make a small profit. Whereas Sony and Microsoft tend to be, right, okay, we're going to, do two and a half years of mega expensive research, we'll throw a product out there, we'll we'll spend a fortune marketing it, and maybe in four years' time we'll start getting our money back. There seems to be a very different, maybe it's obviously a cultural difference in the way that those, the companies are run. So I, I would have thought the reason you've not seen anything yet, or they've not talked about it yet, is they're still doing their sums and working out what they can put in a box that only costs 125 quid. It's interesting, I think it's, it's also uh, as much as, you know, you can paint that as a very successful strategy and a sensible strategy. Like, it's also important to remember that really Nintendo were on the brink of uh, doom before the Wii, and they kind of struck lucky with the Wii. They they really got away with it. Um, and we you know we could have been talking about the next generation being weirdly enough a two-console thing if if Nintendo had gone one direction. Uh, hmm. So, I just wonder whether you know as much as they are the leading force right now. And you ca- you could argue yes they've you know they they have this maybe more considered way of approaching it is that hurting them now and I guess even more personally kind of to this discussion uh, are we kind of as gamers suffering for for there not being a Wii two and a seven twenty and a PS four uh, I mean is it that that's kind of where I guess this discussion is going in that you just sort of look at the, the Wii games that we're getting now and they're not really using motion control. Well, I'd go to the, I'd, I'd then go back to your um, your episode over the summer. Uh, was it gaming burnout? I've started to feel kind of gaming burnout in that I'm getting a little tired of games. And I question whether or not that's because I'm so used to what this generation can do, and this gen- and I, I question whether you know this generation has done everything that I want it to do for me, and now we're waiting for something new. And the, you can argue that that is arriving in the form of connect or move and yet they're not arriving with the same impact because they're not a brand new console they are a peripheral and i, I think there's kind of that 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 um there's almost like a, a, a mental a mental barrier there that okay this is an additional thing for this current console so it's more of the same but different whereas if you'd brought out a brand new console the 720 with a camera as a controller if the 720 had come out with no controller just connect that would feel like more of a step forward than just a camera for the 360. I think this 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 kind of two sides of the coin. I think as gamers, I think actually you benefit from the cycle being longer because there's no doubt about it that games that come out towards the end of uh, or, or later on in the cycle tend to be ten times better than anything that came before. And as soon as you introduce some new hardware, you tend to find you're back to square run again, and and uh, you know the quality of the products goes down because you know there's additional development costs and things you know but people are rushing to get the products out to market for the launch and all that i remember when the um 360 launched 
Uh, quite a few of those launch titles on the 360 also had PS2 releases, and the PS2 versions were infinitely better. All right, they weren't in HD, but they tended to have more functionality, or they 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 were more stable, mm. or they were more playable. Um, simply because they were being developed on a platform that everyone knew what they were doing with, um, and and if you look at the end of the last cycle with um, like the PlayStation 2, you have things like um, God of War and, and God of War 2 coming out, which looked almost as good as some of the games that were coming out on the the the, um, the 360 and, and the and the early PS3. So I think actually we we benefit. The people who really do not benefit are the retailers. Um, I mean, the retailers at the moment, I'm sure you'll bear this out, James, if you speak to them, it, they're really suffering. I mean, my shares yeah. in my in game have plummeted <laughs> over the last sort of year because they don't, because they are, they are their business model is so used to there being a new console every three to five years that they just don't know what to do with themselves when they go two or three years without some new hardware to, to shift. Uh, and I, I get the impression, because I've spoken to a few people who work in game, and I've dialed into a couple of their um, investor calls, that they don't have a great deal of faith in Move and Connect as being big money spinners for them. Um, I imagine their their margins are probably quite small on peripherals. So, it, you know, whenever there's a year where there is there are new consoles, you do get this buzz, and you do get this this kind of need and want and, and focus on the on both retail and new games. But in years where you don't have that. You do tend to find that uh, probably what James is explaining really is that okay, you get the big AAA titles and and they become the key points in the year, but a lot of other stuff just gets lost, which is a shame. But ultimately, I think we benefit from it. I'm I'm gonna slightly disagree, and I think uh, not not with your general point. I, I you know I think the PS2 is an excellent example of a console where you had really strong titles to the end of its life cycle. You know, God of War, Shadow of Colossus, Eco, these kind of games were really, you know, maybe the best on, on that system. Final Fantasy twelve as well was one of the late ones. Um, but I think we're in a really unique situation with this generation where you have the PS3, which is the strongest technologically of the, of the three consoles by arguably some distance over the 360. Um, then you have the 360 and you have the Wii. And the Wii is doing its own thing in its own corner and making its money however it does. Then you've got the 360 and the PS3 and they're sharing a lot of games. And I, I, it does seem to me, and you, you, we hear murmurings of it a lot, a lot of the time, that the f- developers have pushed the 360 as far as it will go. Like it doesn't feel like there's much more there that that, that it can do. It doesn't appear to me that uh, you know, looking at 360 games in particular, I don't see any ginormous leaps forward uh, in the last year in terms of visuals, how they're using the technology, how they're using online capability, whatever. Um, and because those games are shared across the PS3 and the 360, it feels like a lot of multi-platform games are being held back when they could be more uh, I don't know what the word is they could be better, I guess fundamentally, on the PS3 they could do better, I mean I know the technology is very hard to use and and, and developers complain all the time about this barrier to getting the PS3 to do what you wanted to do, but you can see from some of the PS3 exclusives like Uncharted 2 and Heavy Rain that when you do have a team which can use that technology to its best effect, you get something which shines compared to other games around it and uh, I just wonder if maybe we, that's a unique situation you know we haven't really had maybe you'd probably have to go as far back as the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo when you had two consoles fighting as closely for power I think the the you've got to be careful with the comparisons between the 360 and PS3 because 
although the PS3 has more processing power, it has less, um, and more importantly, it has less memory, and actually in most devices, particularly not in computer devices, it's actually memory that's more important. Um, I mean, the reason that things like Uncharted and... Um, uh, I won't even talk much in that other game, the one that begins with H... <laughs> And two words. <laughs> but you, even if you're going to come down on that game, you have. To, it does feel like to me. I, I don't. I'm going to admit I'm not huge on the technology of these two things. But I get the impression from what I read and what I and from the games I play, and those two in particular, Uncharted 2, Heavy Rain. There is like this difference. Well, they are it, better looking than the because other. Because there's games. more data, though. Because I mean, the, the amount of data you can fit on a Blu-ray is, you know, if it's if it's double sided, you know, if it's like a double density, double sided, it's something like something like six to eight times more than you can fit on a DVD. DVD. So you you, you right. can do a lot more with it. You've also got the fact that on the PS3 it has a built-in hard drive, so PS3 games are able to exploit that, which means they can actually stream a lot of textures and things like that on the fly from the hard disk. Which is why you have the you know the, the a lot of them have the forced install. I mean, Heavy Rain had a huge install, um, and I don't, think, I don't think Uncharted did though. But I think Uncharted was was pulling a lot of textures off of the. Um, off of the Blu-ray, so it's more an issue of capacity on the PS3, and that it has a much better mechanism of handling large volumes of data than the 360 does. But there's nothing that you know. It wouldn't surprise me with the new um, Xbox, the the minimum spec one having. I think is it two or four gig? I think it's got built in. Four gig. Four yeah. gig. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they turn and say, right, okay, we're now going to allow um, developers to have a you know. Um, a 500 meg cache on the hard drive and as soon as you, you allow developers to do that they can do a whole load more if they can cache almost half a gig's worth of textures on a hard drive they can do an incredible amount more than they could on a you know the old um, arcade where they couldn't really cache anything other than stuff to, to memory so um, I still think both the 360 and the PS3 as Jones was saying earlier can be extended for a long time yet, and I, I don't really think they have reached their limitations. They might have reached the limitations of where they are now, but because their firmware can be updated and because their feature set can be constantly changed, that they can ex- exploit and free up more capacity. I, th- I think they've reached their, their or they're at least they are approaching their limitation in terms of graphical capability. And I know I said earlier, you know, like that graphics will always be important because it's kind of it is that visual hook. It is. The first bite is with the eye, as they and you know, as they always say. And PS3 360, obviously, that that bite is is um, more tasty. But that bite is reaching that. It's reaching the biting point. It's reaching the point where it can't really be taken any further. I think the industry now kind of needs to shift its mentality to what it can do, and the the focus needs to be on like advancing it through what it can do. And I think that's what that's obviously what they're trying to do with connect and move and the so the only the the way to keep 360 and ps3 going for another five years is to make sure they support connect and move or come up with other ways or come you know like new things that can be downloaded or whatever new you know cloud gaming streaming gaming whatever just something that can like that almost almost like behind the scenes that changes how games work that keep it going because we've got to the point now where I think we have seen probably the best, or at least close to the best visual that we'll see on these hard, um, these consoles. Once you're out of ways to impress gamers with just graphics and will look isn't this shiny, you then have to look deeper to you know either gameplay or then the actual like hardware mechanics to keep it going. 
I think another problem with this generation that we haven't really run into before is that every damn game is using the same engine. Like, it, you know, in the last generation, generations before that, a lot of developers built their own proprietary engine, or they took something and they heavily modified it, which is why, last, like, last gen even, a lot of games look very different from one another. This generation, everything is Unreal Engine 3, and Unreal Engine 3 has a lot of stuff in it that makes it easier for developers to make, say, a third-person cover-based shooter. There's libraries in there that the developers can copy and paste instead of having to write all that code themselves. That's why most games feel the same now, most games look the same now, most games act the same now, because they are pretty much the same. And, like, I think that that's why, like, Sandy, you're saying, a lot of games are kind of looking pretty much the same these days. It's not so much that we've maxed out the system, although we kind of have at this point, but it's, it's really that just that I mean, everything is being built off of the same libraries. There's no one really trying to push the Unreal Engine 3 beyond where it usually goes because they don't have to because it looks pretty good the way it is. And it's when developers like Naughty Dog develop their own engine using the hardware as its, as their focus, they can really pull something great out of a system. And if more developers said, well, you know, I don't feel like using Unreal Engine 3, I want our game to feel different from every other game, which most won't do because that's more expensive, then we'd actually have some variety this generation, which we seriously don't. And it's just such a huge financial risk to make your own engine at this stage. And when you have this engine that, that does that job... I mean, even I, I played Enslaved at, a, at an event a few weeks ago, and even that used Unreal Engine. And they were saying, you know, we're trying a lot of things. We tried a lot of customization to make this not look Unreal Engine free. But uh, like you're saying, Joey, that you can still tell. You can still see, and it still feels like any other Unreal Engine free game when you look at it. Yeah. Even with the, you know, the motion, like they've used all this motion capture and everything, it still has that Unreal Engine free feel. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't even think of many 360 games that use their own engine, where if you look at the Wii, like there really is no standard engine on the Wii that a lot of people can use, except for like Unreal 2 engine, I think is one of the ones that a lot of people still fall back on. But a lot of Wii games look different from one another, and a lot of Wii games feel different from one another. And I think that's you know, one of the really great features about the Wii is that you never really know what you're going to get. Whereas on PS3 and 360, if you look at the release charts every week, you're going to get a lot of third-person shooters, you're going to get a lot of first-person shooters because those are easy to make and the library is already out there to make those developments very easy. Um, quite a lot, it's a bit of an unsung one, but quite a lot of, um, particularly on the Wii, a lot of um, games use um, Gamebryo, which is, right. uh, which is a middleware, and actually quite a lot of Xbox... 360 uh, Xbox Live Arcade games use it as well. It's actually quite almost as common as Unreal, but it's not in the press eye as much. Sure. And if you remember the last um, generation, Renderware was the big one. So, yeah. um, which I think was it Criterion? Criterion, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly all the GTA games were done on Renderware, and all the Burnout games. Um, and I believe that was multi-platform. I think that would run on virtually anything. So. Yeah, I, I mean, middleware is an interesting thing because actually, something I do as part of my job actually is that you know, I my job title is that I'm a software configuration manager, which is a basically means I understand how software is bolted together, and um, um, using middleware is a very common thing to do in both commercial and game development. So, uh, and you tend to find that it can save you literally millions of pounds to to not have to do it yourself and just to take something and tweak it but you're quite right the problem is that the more you tweak it the less it is what you had originally and the harder it is then to get the most out of it so um, um, you do you will I mean certainly this generation you do see games that just look very similar but then um, you know I 
I think that was true of every generation. You know, there's always been. I mean, N64 games always had that that sort of slightly foggy look to every to everything. So, you know, there's just a, a hallmark of this generation is Unreal. Really, it's it's the platform of choice. It'll be interesting to see what happens with um, is it the Rage Engine, which is the one that ID are developing. I'm not not aware. Yeah. They've got a few games coming out. I mean, ID used to be the masters of middleware, didn't they? But they mm. seem to have fallen behind. Well, that, that in itself kind of brings up another point, which I guess is an, kind of another thing I'm trying to sort of bring up with this PS3 and 360 thing. I f- it almost feels like the, fr- the the free consoles, because they are either sharing games or trying to imitate each other's features, it they're beginning to feel increasingly less distinct uh, from one another. And, you know, I, I feel like you, it's it becomes very much a very personal choice whether you want a PS3 or 360 if you don't want both. At this stage, and uh, even the Wii is getting a lot of the cost off uh, 360 and PS3 games, and now because of Move and Kinect, you're getting the reverse occurring as well. Mm. And I, I just, I just wonder if that in itself is kind of making us feel a little bit like, well, what's actually new? What, what is this new thing? Like even Move and Kinect, as James was saying, they are these almost semi-new consoles in a way because they are bringing new functionality. But at the same time, they don't feel that new because we have had the Wii around and. And and the other thing as well with Connect and Move is the price points is so off-putting, and so even if even if they can provide new opportunities, it it does feel like you are investing in a whole new console, and that that in itself is prohibitive. Um, but that's a different point. I I, I kind of want to centre on the, on the idea of the free consoles all kind of being the same thing at this stage. Is that is that a fair statement, or are there still distinguishing features I, between the three? I think it's a good point. I mean, I, 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 I was listening to you, and I was initially disagreeing, because I'm thinking, like, the last generation, you had GameCube, Xbox, the PS2, and all of the games you got on them were similar, or the same, because all three played games and handled games in the exact same way. But there was almost this kind of three-tier structure of the PS2, the GameCube and the Xbox like were different kind of um, power levels. The generation before that you have uh, you have the N64 and the PS1 providing completely different experiences through console, uh, sorry, through cartridge and disc. And you're right, yeah, this even with the Wii even with the Wii standing out there as the kind of the different console, this generation is becoming increasingly homogenous because that's just you know, that's the way that everyone's developing games. Every major release gets developed for every console under the sun, and by and large, you get the exact same experience. And I think that's a partly an economic um, decision, obviously. You know, like if you develop one game, any game that's developed for PS3, 360, or PC, generally it makes financial sense to make it for the other two platforms, the two that you didn't initially develop it for. And I think... I. I We've almost been unlucky in the, you know, like recession and all that. We've been unlucky that we've had an economic collapse during this generation where the three consoles were that more, that much more distinct and the three platform holders were venturing out in their own directions. As soon as things got, you know, like, you know, financially troublesome, they've all had to kind of recede and cling on to what they know and just hold on and keep going. As we come out of recession, I'd hope that that changes, but we won't know for a good couple of years and that I guess we'll see and you know as to how well each console does with or without their new peripherals it, I mean it feels to me like they're the with the two new new peripherals they're trying to protect their current position uh, as well as gain obviously you know the aim is to try and gain market share from all those people who went out and bought Wii's but certainly with the move I mean I, I picked up the move 
I wasn't going to buy it actually. I've got um, as usual. <laughs> I see everyone on t- talking about it on Twitter, and I get you know a bit of peer pressure, and that's it. I'm straight down the shop. But um, move to me feels like a, a stopgap measure. Um, the the technology is brilliant. I mean it. It's so simple. It's beautifully simple, and it works so well. I'm amazed no one thought of doing it before. I mean, all it is is a coloured ball and a camera at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but um, and people have been doing that with motion capture for years. You've seen the you know Andy Serkis jumping around in his black suit with ping pong balls all over it. I mean, this is basically what it is. It's the same technology, but um, it, the the games themselves are so they're, they're just absolute rip-offs of uh, what we've already had. Two or, two or three years ago on the Wii, and it just feels to me like it's a, it's something that's been brought to market as quickly as possible as a kind of holding, um, or blocking tactic if you like for Connect or a holding position, until Sony and to a certain extent Microsoft with Connect can think about what it is they want to do next, which way do they want to go? It you know it feels like they're 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 using it to buy themselves time, to start thinking about what it is they want to do next. And I think that's going to damage them. I mean, like you know, the amount of developers that have um, certainly speaking to MCV, um, and even you know, like read, I've been reading on other sites and other magazines, like all the developers are generally saying that, oh, you know, connect and move. Yes, the initial lineup may not be that impressive, but it's all going to be about the second generation of the game. That second generation that when everyone knows how to use those technologies and use them for the true, yeah, like for what those. Uh, those those how that hardware is meant to be used for, but I almost you know I, that's going to be too late. That's going to be too late. The damage will be done. The, you know the the games will come out this Christmas. They will not impress. And how many people will buy a Connect or Move beyond this if there's not tempting software there? The reason we could get away with you know bringing out these very very basic motion control games is because it was brand new. Likewise for the iToy, you know, like the iToy is like, which the iToy and things like Guitar Hero, Rock Band, I consider those to be the equivalent of Connect and Move because it's not a new console, it is a new peripheral that you can play games from. If, you know, like, ages ago, like, if EA had, like, launched, um, you know, uh, or, or Microsoft had teamed up with EA and launched, you know, like, the guitar controller, this is a new hardware, this is going to be, like, a new console for us, it's going to open possibilities... No, it doesn't. It opens it up itself up to a limited number of games, and I think at the moment, Connect and Move do at this, you know, as well. And I, I worry that you know, like, like I say, it's just going to be it's too lackluster a start to let the second generation make the impact it deserves. It feels to me though that these are the second generation games because the technology, the motion control, certainly with the Move, the motion control technology has already been proven with the Wii. I mean, the Wii is basically the same device, but instead of a camera, you have an IR reader on the top of the TV. So it's, it's, it's you know, we've had what four years of Wii development, and there's plenty of um, teams out there that have been developing games for the Wii. So really, uh, if you're developing something for Move in particular. You should already be in your second and third generation of what those games should be, and certainly from what I've experienced so far, that doesn't feel any different to what mm. we've had before, other than being more precise because of the the, the brilliant, <laughs> brilliantly simple idea of of have, using of having a ball and a camera. Um, uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't know if you heard. You know, um, there's regularly interviews with Aaron Greenberg about the. Um, you know, connect and body, body, blah. He came out with an interesting quote last week, which 
um, sort of piqued my interest a little bit. Uh, and he was asked about Connect and you know what it's doing, and he came out with the usual spiel. You know, Connect is here. It's we we treating it as a new console launch. Blah blah blah. And he said, um, we envisage that the clip, that the Xbox 360 has at least another five years of life. Now, if you read that on face value, it says to you, okay, so the plan is that they're not going to, repl- you know, they're going to replace it in five years' time. But that's not how these things work. The tail on the PS2 is about. Th- well, it's still going now, but it's almost three or four years. So actually, if they're seriously saying that they're still going to be selling 360s in five years' time, actually what they're saying is they're going to be looking to replace the 360 in probably about two years' time. Sure. So if you if you you know factor that in, you can then see that Connect literally is just a mechanism of getting another piece of hardware out there, getting retailers a bit excited, getting some traction with the Wii audience until they can bring out something else. That's a good point. I mean, it, and, and people do tend to make that sort of uh, that conclusion when you know. I think a lot of people made that conclusion when PS3 was announced having its its ten year life cycle, and that meant oh we'll have to wait till 2017 for the PS4, which is clearly not going to be the case that that doesn't mm. that doesn't strike me as particularly likely i just wanted to kind of close out the connect and move discussion by kind of getting to the point of what what they can bring and compared to each other and i i guess what i'm kind of asking is what i'm trying to ask is out of connect and move which of those two do you think will be the one that will bring new experiences and uh can maybe provide a shift uh and maybe reignite a kind of excitement for new ideas in this generation. Uh, Joe, how about you? What do you think? Um, and I have to pick one, right? I can't say neither. <laughs> you have I to just, pick one. You have to pick one. I, I mean, you know, I think that, I think that the move has capability to push things forward because, as as Anne said, not, not, keep in mind, I have not played it myself yet, but keep based on what people have said. And what I've read about it, it does have the capability to move things forward. I just don't believe enough in the developers to say, well, we could take this beyond what we've done with the Wii so far, but why don't we just do what we've done with the Wii so far? And that's what I'm really afraid of. It's really going to take like Sony or someone, you know, one of their internal developers to say, yeah, let's do something crazy with this thing and blow people's minds. And I really, you know, kind of like how Motion Plus has not really gotten as much traction in the last year or so as it should have i i'm kind of worried that the move is going to follow the same path and there's going to be some really terrible third party games and some really cool but kind of minor first party games that show off what it can do um and the connect uh, i i think it has a hell of a lot of potential but again i don't I don't think as many developers are going to look outside the box and think of, you know, like, obviously, whatever Kojima does on the Kinect is going to be ridiculous and going to be funny and going to be a great showcase for what that thing could do and how it can blow your mind. But Activision and most of what EA will be doing and most of what other third-party developers will be doing and even, hell, most of what Microsoft is going to be doing where they won't even tell us what's in Fable 3 or what's going to be in Fable 3 when in reality it's probably going to be, hey, if you wave, your dude on screen will totally wave at people around him. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm fearing is going to be the end result of this. And like how Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is going to let you throw grenades by throwing your arm through the air. And I really don't think that either of them will really have that big of an impact at all. And if anything, the Kinect will have marginally better impact because maybe there'll be a cool thing or two in the next four years for it. 
I, I don't have much faith in either, as we said. I'm, I, I'm quite sceptical <laughs> of both. Um, We're also I mean, I, if, I, if I was forced, um, you know, gun against my head, etc., to, you know, put my faith in one, it, I have to, I, I'd go with the move. I completely see all of Joe's arguments. I completely agree with them. But for me, the connect, the fact that you're using your body as the controller, far from, you know, giving you freedom to do anything I think I kind of limits to what you can do what you can recreate in game because things like I look at you know like the genres like um okay like FIFA Pez Halo Gears of War um I'm trying to think of other other genres you know like genres like sports and first person and so forth I don't quite see how they would work on the Kinect in their current form. And I know that the argument is that, oh, well, they'd, they'd evolve, they'd find a new form. Kinect, I think, who was it? Someone, um, I think it was uh, Jen Zintat at EA, told um, someone, uh, one of my um, colleagues that Kinect is about games that we haven't even imagined yet. But those, but the games that... that that can't quite be recreated on those on those um, on on Connect, so the Call of Duties, etc. Those are the games that have kept this industry going for the last ten years, arguably. Those are the games that this industry's mo- you know, financial model is built on, and so well, improved heck, E3. Those are the games that have kept the 360 going in particular as well. Well, yeah, mm. exactly. I mean, Christ, I, I got like, so Halo. I'm not the biggest Halo fan, but I sure as hell respect what it does for the market. Last last week's market value to bring a little bit of statistics into it last week's market value for the UK games market was 11.8 million the lowest it has been in four years one week later after Halo's come out that value this morning came in at 28 million <laughs> that's a bit of a boost and and, and that's just because that's, obviously that was the move um, the move um, launch as well but primarily that was down to Halo and you can't turn your back on that sort of game and Sony proved at E3 that Move can do the silly little party games but it can also do the you know it can do the kind of the middle ground the um, the sorcery the Harry Potter sort of adventures but then it can do things like Killzone it can do the Fight Club or whatever the hell it is it can do the shoot so I, I think I, Move is kind of providing providing developers aren't lazy like Joe suggests Move has the potential to keep this going. I thought I, we kind of need to take it one step at a time before we leap into Connect's, you know, and lofty, ambitious territory of oh look, it's like a hollow deck <laughs> thing. <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. We need to walk before we can run. If they do recreate the hollow deck on Connect, I'm there day one. But oh, sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. I'm on board. There'll be a Professor Moriarty in it to screw everything up for us. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. He's going to guide you through the avatar creation process. <laughs> <laughs> and finally yourself, uh, Zan, quickly. Um, I, I actually... Well, okay. I think the, the both Move and Connect will probably spawn different games to what we're used to, but I don't see them being used in, as Jones was saying, in traditional games. So, uh, to give you an example, we've already seen it, I think, because if you look at the Wii, the kind of best-selling games of the Wii on the Wii are either fairly traditional games that don't really make great use of the motion controller, other, you know, I don't, I discount Wii Sports, because um, it comes with with it, I mean, that was the, the that was the game to sell the box, basically. Um, or they're things that weigh you. So, <laughs> do you see what I mean? No, I get so, actually, motion control is not a bigger, as big a seller as you think, because the two big, you know, the biggest selling franchises on the Wii don't use it. I mean, 
the Mario games barely use it. The Wii Fit, Wii Fit, you stand on a on a set of scales and you wobble around. It's not really motion control. Well, I, one of the things that struck me about using the Move, um, you may have heard on other podcasts, people talking about the um, the paint game where you you can see yourself on the screen, you can paint on the screen, um, and there's other things like um, with the iPad, you can kind of when you hold the the move up to the screen, the move looks like something else, like you can hold it up and it looks like you're holding a hairdryer on the screen, and then you dry Augmented your hair. Augmented reality, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, I personally think, with Connect and Move, the genre you're likely to see spawn from these are going to be augmented reality games. In particular with Connect, I can see Connect really going down that avenue. Um, and see, I, I can to, see I, that, that's the sort of thing that would get me into Connect. I mean, we, we yeah. said on Game Burst the other day that, um, was it the Steel Battalion? I will quite happily play that on Connect if it's a case of you're reaching out and grabbing buttons and levers and pulling those and operating them like that. If that's how Connect works, then yeah, that's going to advance I, things. I can see, certainly from what I've seen of the early move stuff, the stuff that's more interesting is the stuff that seems to make use of that augmented reality. Um, and the other thing with um, Connect is I think it will be the, the place for dance games now. So we've had dance mats in the past, dance games have sold in huge numbers. I mean, dance. I mean, the, the only reason I would buy Connect Day 1 would be for Dance Central, because I think that looks brilliant. So you can see any, any kind of game that requires, that, that's going to make full use of your body, like a dance game or a exercise games and that I can see those sort of things you know doing push-ups and sit-ups and all that kind of stuff being really big on with Connect and that being a big seller for Move I can see it doing really well in things like um, light gun games because the PS2 was like the de facto home of light gun games and since we've had LCD TVs you've not been able to have decent light gun games other than one or two really good ones on the Wii and I can see I and mean, we've already got Time Crisis we've got uh, the HD version of the the brilliant Dead Space Extraction coming up. I wouldn't be surprised if we get all the Umbrella Chronicle games re-released as light gun games on the on the on the PS3, and that's no bad thing. So I'm I'm a big fan of light gun games. I was, I, I, just to kind of bring up this, this, the connect and move side of this to a close. I mean, I was com- I completely agree with Zan in that I think uh, Dance Central is really the ace in the hole for Connect, and I think uh, it shouldn't be underestimated how you know you've got a harmonics game there, uh, which really will make the best use of that technology, and I can see. I could see that working heavily in that system's favour and being a maybe not a big seller, but the spur or something for that for Connect. But we will know when it all comes in November, I believe. Uh, well, didn't didn't Ubisoft's dance game set new records or something earlier this on year? On the Wii, dance, oh yeah, dance. oh yeah, it, it yeah, sold. Well, I think it sold like four million in about so two the, months. So there we go, a bit of canny marketing, yeah. and you know, hey, look what we've got. High School Musical is the big thing at the moment, isn't it? Uh, and that, that's where it goes. Hey. Ready? Three, two, one. Digital Cowboys. It's more than just a collection of great gaming podcasts. It's more than just a large community of smart, friendly gamers. It's more than your average gaming experience. Whatever you get from your current gaming experience, get more. Come on.
Listen. Okay, so we kind of have been a bit negative, really, on the, on the idea of an elongated life cycle, and I, I think Zan, you you would you were kind of fighting the corner that it, it does kind of make sure that we get some of the best games made. You know, that the the more people have time to develop on that system, the more they can use it effectively. Yeah, I, I I believe so. I mean, the DS at the moment is the oldest system out there still in use, and some of the DS games that are coming out now are, are superb. You know, the 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 head and shoulders above what came out four or five or even six years ago so yeah, I think the the longer it goes on the better but yeah there is obviously a finite point where the technology is so far behind expectation that it no longer becomes viable but I don't think we're there yet I think developers as well have, have kind of they're kind of banking on the elongated cycle as well because we are still getting so many games that are like by this point Development would be you know, ramped down, and they, people would be looking towards the next hardware. Or you know, in this well, case, they'd be all focusing on j- j- connect and move. And you're getting things like, oh, sorry, go. I say, James, look at the DS. The DS releases have virtually dried up to nothing. Well, know? yeah, absolutely. The DS is a bad example, but like if you look at like 360, etc., no, no, we're no, still getting. Yeah. We've we've got to look for, you know to look forward to. We've got Bioshock Infinite. We've got a new Gears of War. We've got Mass Effect Three eventually. We've got. Um, the inevitable Halo 4 that's bound to come out I, I imagine that's going to come out on this generation I imagine they won't wait that long before they release another Halo um, you've got you know like the, all the stuff that's coming out this Christmas we've got um, the, you know the potential you know the ever present rumour of MMOs and so forth you know I, I, we've only had one G- GTA this generation whereas we've had what two, at least two or three the last two generations I think we've got plenty to come you could just on the GTA you could quickly argue that you've had Liberty, uh, the Liberty City stories, uh, whatever they are. Sorry, the the Band of mm. Gatoni and, uh, and you, but, um, you could, but they're expansion. Packs. But to to kind of to 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 go and further James's thought, you know, MMOs is a particular good example of something that is a new direction that can consoles can go on. You know, like like we're waiting for the agency, for example, DC Universe, uh, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. You know there are a number of of new MMOs which are new experiences on the system. I kind of want to to see what you guys thought are new directions for the 360 and PS3 to go, and maybe areas that this generation hasn't explored as well, which it could have. And I guess MMOs is one example. Are there are there any other ones that come to mind? I think I'm I'm like um, Zan. I'd I'd like to see just the now that we've got we've got to this point we've got to what is theoretically the end cycle now just people to knuckle down and concentrate on quality I mean the games that are coming out I like to think are getting better and better and I want to see more of it I mean like I'm glad that you know Mass Effect 3, 3 for example which I, you know, I just mentioned I'm glad that Bioware pledged that that would come out on 360 and that all the whole trilogy would be available in one generation because I, I can only imagine how annoying it would be if I was a strap for cash Xbox owner, I played Halo 1, Halo 2, and then realised I had to spend £400 on the next console to finish the story. And I, I just I want to see more quality, I want to see more of, not more of the same, but I, just, I, I kind of want to see people like refine what we're doing now and make it the best it can possibly be before we start running ahead. I don't think there'll be a huge change in the type of games that are made. Um... But what I do think we'll do, we'll see is I mean this is you know covered in other podcasts but I fully expect to see Microsoft and Sony trying to establish the 
the Xbox 360 and the, and the PlayStation 3's um, digital distribution credentials. You know, so making that model absolutely work before they bring out whatever they bring out next. So I wouldn't be surprised if if with before the end of this cycle we start seeing day and date releases of games on both disc and um, and download. I think that's probably somewhere we'll get to before the end. I don't think they'll ever not do disc, but I think a bit like Sony have experimented with the PS PSP. I can see if if we're going to have another three to five years, it's it's quite possible that that's that's the route they'll go down. And you only have to look at Xbox Live Arcade. I mean, I was talking to some of my friends the other day, and we were bemoaning the fact that several of the games that have come out this summer have been two gig. And I can remember the day when they had a fifty meg limit. Um, and so I think that's what you're gonna we're gonna see more and more games coming through the digital channel and being much bigger than what we've expected before. Well, if you can look at the way that the digital marketplace has evolved with DLC, I mean, now it's pretty much a given that every game is going to have a Game of the Year edition one year later that packs in all the DLC that they're creating, and now there are plans in the original design docs for games that, oh yeah, after we're done, we're going to start making these DLC packs because we have to. It's like, it's just an accepted part of things now. And hell, game patches are an accepted part of things. I look at Metroid Other M has that glitch near the end that I almost ran into the other day when I was playing it. Like, that's not even an issue anymore on the other two consoles because the second the day goes live, there's a patch up that gets that t- problem taken care of. And I think that, you know, just refinement and conti- continuing to make money off of games that have already been released will be the, the continued trend we'll see this generation. And probably one thing that will take, that the developers will take off of it so much because. I, I mean, would Call of Duty be as big as it is if they didn't make a billion dollars every time they released a DLC pack? And, you know, that's that's one thing that would never have been possible before, and I'm sure they'll find out new ways to make money in the next generation, but for now, that seems to be the, the way the marketplace is going. If you want to make money, you have to release DLC, and it has to be fast and big. James, was it on Game Burst where you quoted that figure about FIFA? Was that last? The news Which last figure was that? It was something about the the DLC for FIFA, which was was crap. It wasn't particularly good. It was, that, it was like the um, card game expansion or something. But EA made eleven times more from the sale of the DLC than they did the, from the sale of the box from the CD. <laughs> yeah, that was the figure that was quoted. I can't remember where I heard it now. I thought it was on the. Game I, I, I don't know that was from me because that's the first I've heard no, of it. But that it may is have been interesting. Different pockets. Yeah, they did. They came out and said that they made a lot more. You know the the margin was so much higher on the DLC than it was. It may be on one of their their their, their um, investor calls, but yeah, that's why they're all going for DLC in a big way now because the marketplace is big enough now that you can make a lot of money. I mean, um, I heard I, I saw that interview with um, is it Randy Pitchfork? Randy Pitchfork, Randy Pitchford, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, talking to uh, the giant bomb guys about the fact they brought out more Borderlands DLC, even though they said they weren't going to do it. And you know he was quite open about it. It's because it made they made shit loads of money. So why not bring out some more? I mean, like you said, the margin uh, is just ridiculous. I mean, especially for something like Borderlands. And, and where the costs are so low. You've got the game. Mm, you've got the engine. Right. All you're doing is creating, and a lot of the assets are already still on the disc. Exactly. You're just rearranging it and chucking it out there. Well, so, Capcom have kind of shown how they can make that work for retail. Um, and what's it like? K Zero for um, Dead Rising Two, basically a demo, but because they've you know, programmed it as a separate game on its own. They've charged you 400 Microsoft points for it. That thing sold half a million um, copies in two weeks, and they, I think, they claimed it set the record for first week sales on Xbox Live. And that's 
basically funded you know the next dead rising or helped fund the next dead rising so i th- i think you know kind of dlc keeping if we've got all this dlc keeping each individual game going you've then got plenty of activity plenty of money coming into the industry that can keep the overall consoles going i i, I know a lot of people have already said it but i'm going to say it again just you know i think it is incredibly canny what capcom did and i think that is the start of something new in this industry we're going to start seeing the uh the pay for demo you know well EA, ea did it with battlefield 1943 though and they basically said afterwards that they want to do that for you know more often because it basically battlefield 1943 used the the, the battlefield 2 engine and it was thrown out there as a demo re- reusing assets they already had because they had all those maps and all the textures and everything from um Battlefield 2 or whatever it was so yeah and uh, on their conference call they said that they were they were planning to do that for future games because it was a it was a, such a good revenue earner for them I, I mean it's just it just makes so much sense and I think you know it, it, gamers don't feel cheated by it because it, you know it was only 400 Microsoft points which is what three pounds maybe uh, and it gives you an idea of whether you're going to spend 30 pounds on the game or not it gives you a really much better idea than a 20 minute demo and you've got a game I think out at the of risk it. of at the risk of starting a whole another conversation I think also like uh, kind of those they're not microtransactions I guess but that kind of that small price small content model that we've seen rise on the iPhone you know the iPhone sucks people in and gets people to buy oh 59p on an app here £1.19 on an app there and they end up spending much more money than they would on the Xbox Live Arcade this, you know if, if, if publishers hook on to that and through digital distribution, you know, like sell, you know, sell all these little games that, like you say, you know, like repackage assets and also all that, the low cost, low risk. It's that's another way that, yeah, you know, I, th- I think we could see that occur much more in the future. But like you say, James, there's an entirely separate discussion. I think there's a lot of a lot of facets to that discussion, especially this week with the news of a uh, good old games. Uh, closing and all the trouble of well, when how do I get to my files for, uh, that that I should be able to download but I can't anymore because your servers are down. You know that digital distribution. Dis- digital distribution. I think we're all kind of unanimous that is maybe one of the more interesting parts of this generation to develop. But it's also kind of one of the most curious and risky and dangerous. Like you just maybe not for the consoles, but for for PC in particular, you just you wonder how far that will go and what will what will change in this industry but I, that is an entirely separate discussion last question then and i think uh you know people will be probably clamoring <laughs> listening to this why haven't you talked about it i mean this could be the last the last cycle of consoles we could not you know we could end up with no wii 2 ps4 and uh, 720 because of things like on live i mean very quickly do you do you think this there's a possibility that this is the last cycle and and how how likely do you think it is that it's, you know we won't have a ps4 or a 720 i'm going to go to james first because he's the man with his finger on the industry button at mcv so uh <laughs> maybe he knows something we do not i emphasize that i speak personally i can't speak for mcv but that that is very much an, an elephant in the room. That is something that I, I consider like to be one of my underlying fears. But then I have always, I've always known that I, I'm, I'm quite pessimistic by nature. I think um, eventually, you know, with all this stuff like you know the world's resources falling out, and I, I know that sounds silly, but if you look at the overall large picture, world's resources going out, humanity, like you know, in the next fifty years is going to be completely different to how it is. And video games, let's face it, are a luxury. We're going to be the first on the chopping block when things go. It could well be that this is the last 
um, console cycle. I just hope we go out with a bang if it is. It is entirely possible that there will not be more beyond this, that, that companies can't afford to move beyond this, but that's something we won't know until we get there. Wow. That's a slightly despondent uh, response, which I wasn't quite expecting. Jared, maybe something cheerier? I think that as long as console manufacturers and retailers like to make money, there will be console boxes on shelves, just because that's how people spend their money, at least in the U.S. I know over there people are a little bit more forward-thinking than, than most rural parts of the United States, but I think that there has to be a box in Walmart that you can buy. That's a generous and I think that, <laughs> that we're, we're forward thinking. I think a lot you of guys are awesome over there. Oh, really? Really stupid. <laughs> I, um, I think I but, would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have to come over there then. Yeah, but I think yeah. that it's just it's there's too many people that won't get it that will stop using their Wii and won't realize that there are still you know in the future Wii and realize there aren't great games that that can be bought on. Just like right now, they don't really use their Wii even though there are great games coming out for it. So I think that there will always be new things out there for people to get interested in even though they probably won't be that much different than the ones that came before it. And finally, Zan? Um, I think there will almost certainly be uh, another generation and sooner rather than later because I think they'll... um, I think with the the blind drive towards 3D television and 3D entertainment, I just feel that that's probably going to be where, you know, we talked about graphics. I think that's where this is going to go next. And I know they can patch it in, but I, I think ultimately whatever they do next is going to be based around that. So they will, they'll have to have new hardware within the next year or two. There you go. I think my, my, my final comment is that... Uh, not not answering that question, but I think you know it's easy to kind of think that we should be getting a 720 and a PS4 and a and a Wii 2 now. But I I think just even if Connect and Move are kind of unsuccessful, that like the guys have said, there is a, a lot of room for refinement, and uh, I think as well there's a lot of a lot of room with you know if you can have your Halo 4s and your Call of Duty 7s and whatever whatever Mass Effect 3s, that there's a lot of room for new IPs to come through. And, you know, that's, look at the PS2. That's when a lot of new IPs did come out was towards the end of that console's life cycle. I think uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of new names uh, on our consoles. But anyway, that is enough for today. Uh, I would like to uh, extend some very big thanks to my guest today, to the very sexy Joe. Ooh. To the even sexier Zan. Hey. Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and the too sexy for this podcast, James Bachelor. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me on. Um, been an absolute pleasure. Um, and whilst you're here, you should probably tell us about that uh, other thing you do, something about bursting and games and things. Yes, um, I, I am one of the hosts at um, Game Burst. Uh, you can find us at www.gameburst.co.uk and we are a, a, a half an hour podcast. We're half an hour, quick, wow. short podcast that you can listen to in a bus ride or a train ride or a relatively short car journey. And um, yeah, we do a news news episode every Sunday. We do a roundtable every Thursday. And then once a month, we do a quiz, which you guys, I believe, did rather well at. <laughs> Alex and Tony, mm-hmm. hope you're listening. <laughs> you do Don't know. I, 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 I don't. I don't know if you heard, but you, you've got challenges now. So you, you came out with a whopping twenty-two points, and midlife gamers have trumped you with twenty-six points. Ah, Joe, get back in that car. I'm doing it. <laughs> Joe, that was amazing. How you survived that? 
that whole episode in a car like <laughs> blazing hot sunlight no aircon no windows and you were coming up with right answers like left right and center it's amazing listen i do what i gotta do to get brp on top <laughs> <laughs> that was like only half an hour you, you've done hour long shows in that oh car. god, god don't remind me yeah i'm sweating right now thinking about it but even even though it's only half an hour it is twice the quality of other podcasts i would say so you should definitely triple, triple, triple. quadruple you should check it out at game burst no no, no come on now like like james said um and uh, any any other shout outs you'd like to give out james um, just to Neil, whose net problems mean he couldn't make it. He's um, my, one of my co-hosts over there. And to Lewis, who keeps the two of us on the straight and narrow. Um, we, we, we're rather unreliable, but Lewis, Lewis keeps, us, um, keeps us on the air. Uh, as for myself, um, just to say, you'll, you can find me at shoinan.com and uh, some of my writing-type things are up at play.tm. Uh, otherwise, you can find us at Facebook if you search for Big Red Potion. We need a few more likes, so if you are on there, like that is a good way of keeping up with the show and, and when we do release episodes, if you're not an iTunes kind of person. Um, we're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash bigredpotion. Uh, again, mm. another really good way to keep up with show updates. And we're also at bigredpotion.com. Otherwise, enjoy your week, uh, enjoy the games you're playing, and uh, see you in two weeks' time. Bye for now. Woo. Bing bong bang. All right. Bing bong bang, he says. <laughs>